0: This is a bonus episode of the Daily Signal podcast for Friday, May 27th. I'm Kate Trenko. There are more details emerging about the terrible school shooting at Robb Elementary in Uvalde, Texas on Tuesday. To be clear, there's still a lot we don't know, but we do have some additional information now. And here to discuss it is Steve Bucci, a visiting fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Steve has an extensive background in security. He's a former top Pentagon official and a former army special forces officer and he's also written about school safety extensively for the heritage foundation steve thanks for joining
1: me Uh, again it's it's my pleasure to be here but not my pleasure to have to uh once again talk about this subject
0: yeah no it's not enjoyable it's a terrible tragedy so i do want to be clear that we're still learning you know investigations are still ongoing You know, we're going to discuss a lot of information in this interview, but please know that information is changing as more developments come out. But on Thursday, Victor Escalon, who is a regional director for the Texas Department of Public Safety, gave a briefing to the media about the timeline of the shooting at Robb Elementary. So one revelation, and this is according to the Wall Street Journal, is that the shooter who, um, I'm not going to use his name because we want to remember the victims, not the murderer here at Daily Signal. Um, The shooter was shooting outside the school for 12 minutes before he entered. Steve, what are your thoughts about that revelation? Was that potentially a time
1: that the shooter should have been stopped? Well, certainly, if, if law enforcement had been there at that time, they could have engaged him outside. This is the thing he, he shot his grandmother, drove the vehicle uh, to the, the street the school was on, came out of the vehicle, and started shooting at some people outside of a funeral home, which was across the street from the school. And then he turned to the school, apparently, fired at the building. Uh, Not sure what effect he was trying for there, but then eventually hopped a fence onto the school grounds and then went into an unlocked back door. That's really the key. I mean, it would have been nice to take advantage of that time when he was still outside the school building, but unfortunately, there, there weren't any responders there at that moment to take advantage of that better situation than when he went in. So we've also
0: learned that the police did not shoot the murderer until he'd been inside the school for um, around an hour. So I'm going to read a long quote here from the Wall Street Journal. Um, And again, this is based off the media briefing with Victor Escalon um, about that timeline. So the journal reports that the shooter, um, as you said, shot his grandmother Tuesday morning and used her truck to drive to Robb Elementary School crashing the vehicle into a nearby ditch at 1128 AM. The gunman then began shooting at people at a funeral home across the street, prompting a 911 call reporting a gunman at the school at 1130. The shooter climbed a fence onto school grounds and began firing before walking inside unimpeded at 1140. Um, And that's the 12 minutes we just discussed. The first police arrived on the scene at 1144 and exchanged gunfire with the shooter who locked himself in a fourth grade classroom. There he killed the students and teachers. A border patrol tactical team went into the school an hour later around 1240 PM, um, was able to get into the classroom and kill the shooter. Um, Now, I know that was a lot of numbers I just threw at you. and I'm certainly not a security expert, but you know, it's hard. It, it breaks my heart to hear that first 911 call was at 11:30, but the shooter wasn't killed or stopped until 12:40. What are your initial
1: thoughts regarding this timeline? Well, the the first part that could have been crucial is when that 911 call went in when he was still outside the building. Uh that someone at At nine one one, or or the person reporting, it should have said, "Hey, he's he's right outside a school. Uh, That school should have immediately been notified and had everybody go into lockdown right then." Normally, if there's any kind of criminal activity that close to a school, they lock down the facility completely. Uh, Now, maybe it wouldn't have helped because that back door. The The point of entry that the uh, shooter used was supposed to be locked already that, you know, at that point in the school day, that door should have been locked and people should have been going in the one door at the front where they checked IDs and that sort of thing. Uh, but it was left open. So possibly if if 911 tried to call him, they could have gone into lockdown. That might have helped. Now, once he gets into the school and then shortly thereafter is, is followed in by police, uh, and they engage him. Uh, but then he ducks into that classroom and barricades the door. Now, if they had been in lockdown, he should not have been able to get into that classroom. The door should have been locked. Somehow, that door was either unlocked or you know maybe knocked on the door. They didn't know who he was, and they opened it. We don't know that part yet, but somehow he got entrance into that fourth grade classroom and then barricaded the door so that the policemen who were there felt they couldn't breach it. Now, I don't know. And and again, this is more stuff that's going to come out as as we have more of these uh, uh, press conferences and stuff uh, and investigation. What actions did they take to try and breach that door? Did they have the capability? Could they have gone back and gotten, you know, a breaching device from a car, something? But at that point, they apparently were told back off the, you know, a a more qualified team. In this case, the Border Patrol tactical team, Their, their technical name is Bortac. They're like a SWAT team that's part of the Border Patrol who a bunch of them live. And a lot of the kids in the school were their children. Uh, in that area. So they were told to back off and wait for for the board tech guys to get there. That's a problem for me. Uh, the we've seen this before. Uh, I give you a little history. Uh, after the shooting in Columbine, uh, when we were still under the protocol that if somebody went in a building and took hostages everybody stood down, you got the trained hostage negotiators would come, they'd surround the building, they'd do all this stuff and try and talk the person out. Because prior to that, that was generally how the scenario would play out. Uh, After Columbine, because there the two young men just went into the building and just started shooting people, uh, it was determined that in these situations, the best course of action is to immediately go into the facility and confront the shooter with who you have. Uh, That's not ideal. It's very dangerous for the law enforcement people who do it. But it was determined that is the best way to do it. Uh, Over the years since then, we've seen it kind of go back and forth. And uh, in some cases... Police have gone right in and confronted the person. In other situations, they've, they haven't. The Pulse nightclub shooting in Tampa is one that comes to mind, where a very similar set of instructions were given to the first responders that got there. Hey, he's inside, stand down until SWAT gets there and let them do it. Uh, that's a mistake. That is a violation of protocol. Uh, and it leaves the, the victims at incredible risk for way too long.
0: Right. Um, and I should note I think Pulse was actually in Orlando, but um, I'm sorry, you're right. Orlando, you're correct. So along the lines we've been discussing, um, one of the most upsetting details emerging from this shooting is reports, and there's some videos on social media. um, I'm not 100% sure they're authentic, but they've certainly been making the rounds, um, that there were parents outside the school begging people to go in or to be allowed to go in themselves. Uh, The timeline on all this isn't exactly clear if it was after the shooter was shot or before, but there is one dad Javier Cazares, whose daughter, Jacqueline, um, was sadly one of the victims, a little fourth-grade girl. Um, And Cazares, um, her dad, Javier Cazares, told the Associated Press that he suggested to others waiting that maybe they should go into the school since no one else was. Um, He said, quote, let's just rush in because the cops aren't doing anything like they are supposed to. What are your thoughts on this? And yeah, I mean, what... What can parents do, if anything? And I mean, God forbid anyone ever face the situation.
1: Uh, you know, this is a, a tragedy here uh, in, in this regard, uh, on top of the, the tragedy in general. Uh, you know, normally when there's an incident and the professional responders arrive, the civilians stay out. You know, if a building is on fire, you know, and the father wants to run in to rescue their kids. The firemen don't let them do that. The firemen go in and get the kids because they've got the equipment. They don't want to create more casualties by well-meaning people who have a connection, but no expertise or experience to get involved. Similarly here, you know, you you don't send unarmed civilians into the firefight. uh, it just you because you, you're gonna create more casualties this is a, a strange situation because as I stated that apparently and and we're still sorting all this out so we you know let's not hang anybody yet uh, the the law enforcement who were there were told wait until the BorTac experts got there uh, in in hindsight that was clearly a, kind of a bad thing Command decision by someone, and we don't know who. It wasn't that the law enforcement that were there did not want to go in, did not want to help, but they were instructed to stand down and wait for people with more firepower, more uh, breaching capability—you know, the ability to get through that barricaded door into the room where the shooter was uh, was committing his crimes. It's it's a sad thing because there were little kids in there being shot at that time. So I, I understand the parents, you know, desire to go in there and try and help. I don't think they would have helped. I think it would have uh, potentially caused more casualties. But that that is going to be a point of investigation that's going to get a ton of focus and should because of this delay. And, and in the perception of these grieving parents, these guys are standing around doing nothing. Well, they can't send all the cops in. You can't get all get through one door. So there were law enforcement watching the door, making sure this guy didn't go anyplace else. But the fact that you know maybe they could have utilized those assets more effectively to maybe approach the room through the windows. I don't know. I'm not familiar with the school facility itself, uh, but that's going to be where the investigation is going to go now. It's going to continue focusing on the shooter, his motivations, that sort of thing. But there's going to be an enormous microscope down on who made the decision to tell those initial responders to wait, uh, why was that made. And the only thing we have now is uh, that, that same uh, official uh, from that region Made a comment, uh, and he said, "You know, well, we couldn't tell him to go in there because our guys might have gotten shot. That one's gonna, that's gonna be a tough one to sell uh, when little children are at risk. Uh, and I can't imagine that most of the other officers that were there were all that happy about having to get that order either. So." Uh, A lot more to come on that, a lot more investigation, but that's going to be the big question right now.
0: So we've also learned that it appears that the shooter, um, I think, shot everyone who died, um, the 19 kids and two adults, in one classroom. Is that surprising that a school shooting would largely take place in one um,
1: classroom? Is that normal? No, it's not. In fact, that's probably one of the first times that's happened, which may tell you that some of the protocols that the school had were working. The other kids were locked down in other rooms. Uh, They apparently were safe. The exact timing of that lockdown is one of the key things. As I said, why was this guy able to get into that one classroom? Now, I understand why he didn't go to others because there was law enforcement outside the door that had engaged him, and he was trying to keep them out. So he had no ability at that point to move around the school. That's a positive thing. Unfortunately, he's got you know an entire fourth grade class full of kids and teachers in there with him. So that's that's the sad thing and the uh, the difficulty here in uh, in dealing with it. Why they were not able to breach that room, uh, I don't know. I can't believe that this young man, you know, was that good at locking down the doors. I don't know. He may have used the barricade procedures that the classroom had to keep people like him out, to keep the police out. But again, we don't know that yet. We've got to we've got to uh, get all of the information from the investigation. And as we know, this information seems to come out progressively as As the officials get more and more info, and uh, and we get more and more enlightenment on on the decisions made,
0: right. So I know we've been talking a bit about this, but overall, um for those investigating now, um looking at the response to this terrible shooting um and how it was handled, what do you see as being the most important information that they should be trying to verify, to um, determine right now? What questions
1: should they be trying to answer? Uh, well, obviously, motivation and and why this guy targeted this school, that, that kind of thing. So the shooter-related part of the investigation. Uh, the next thing that needs to be checked is why was that back door open? And how did this guy know the back door was open? Because from what I've seen on the few clips, it seems like he hopped the fence and went right to that door. He didn't go around checking other doors and and only found that one open. So somehow, I mean, that tells me maybe that door was always open and this kid has seen it before, you know, if he did a reconnaissance of it and noticed that. So we need to know that and then Once he was in there, uh, we need more fidelity on that initial engagement uh, by those first uh, law enforcement that arrived to see what happened that allowed him to get inside that classroom. Why wasn't that door locked to keep him out of the specific classroom? And then what did he do to barricade himself in there? Why were those uh, initial officers unable to get through that door? to engage him quickly and minimize the casualties? And then finally, who made the call to tell those guys, okay, stop trying to get in there, just keep them in that room and wait for Bortek. Uh That, in, in hindsight, was probably the most egregiously bad decision uh, because it allowed him to just, at his will, kill off those children. And the teachers, so all those aspects of it have to be, you know, we need to know exactly what really happened, what were the thought processes, and then disseminate the information and use it to hopefully improve procedures, practices at every school in America going forward. So this is this. None of this should stay in the shadows. It needs to get out everywhere. not with a focus on trying to punish people you know the only criminal here is the um the shooter uh but we we got to get to the truth because that's the only way we can do it better the next time because sadly there's there's likely to be a next time and we need to clearly need to do it better than we did this time So speaking of preparation, it looks like the school
0: district in Uvalde was actually very aware of school shootings. I mean, I assume all school districts at this point have plans. But um, NBC News ran an article recently that detailed what Uvalde had done to try to make sure their schools were safe. Um, NBC reports that the Uvalde district had doubled its security budget in recent years, Um, It had adopted an array of security measures that included its own police force, threat assessment teams at each school, a threat reporting system, social media monitoring software, fences around schools, and a requirement that teachers lock their classroom doors, according to a security plan posted on the district's website. Now, of course, just like everything else, there's a lot we don't know. We don't know whether this plan was followed to the letter at Robb Elementary, But um, what's your thoughts on what we know about Evaldi's preparation for something like this and what questions need to be asked now?
1: Uh, Well, that that whole plan needs to be reviewed again to see if in fact it was sound. Uh, And then the the key thing, and this is, you know, a human factor is you can have the best plan in the world. If you don't execute it, if you ignore parts of it, it can fall apart pretty quickly uh, from The most recent reports, you know, doors were unlocked on the outside. Having a fence around the building is great, but if you could just climb over it like apparently this kid did, you know, that keeps the elementary school kids inside, doesn't keep a bad guy out. Uh, And then if if the doors are supposed to be locked inside the building in the classrooms all the time, how did this kid get in? You know, once he was in the building, we know the back door was unlocked, and p- the police engaged him. And he moved down the hallway and, and went into this classroom. Why was that door open for him to get in there? You know, did the teacher just happen to open it to take a kid to the bathroom? We don't know. Uh, but if they're supposed to be locked, that that's a problem. Now, the having the assessments and all that—that's great as long as those assessments were done by qualified people. Uh, it, I'd, I'd have to look at what m- the money was spent on. Uh, you know, a lot of people seem to like to buy big fancy cameras and things like that, which is great for getting information after the fact is is less useful in defending the, the building in the moment. Uh, and then the last part is they said they, they had their own police force, which I guess, I mean, they, they have security guards that they, they have acquired somehow. Were those volunteers? Were they paid? Uh, how well were they paid? Did they have actual law enforcement experience, or are they just people who you know, have a blue uniform and, and a gun belt? I don't know. Were they armed at all? But it, it doesn't appear from the latest reports that there were any armed security people on the school grounds at the moment this happened. So perhaps that you know what they're labeling a, a school police force is you know a couple of guys who cruise around and visit the different schools at different times and they just didn't happen to be there at the at that school at that moment. All that stuff needs to to be evaluated and then adjusted to plug any holes that that were there. I've seen that myself. I mean, I do school evaluations. i I provide security for the school that my grandchildren go to. Uh, And I have to tell you, it's tough when you tell everybody, look, you can only go in and out of this one door and you have to wear your badge and you have to check in and out each time you go. That's kind of inconvenient for the teacher whose classroom is at the far end of the building and decides, well, I need to go outside to get something from my car. So I'll just prop open the door near me, go to my car and then come back. And at that moment that door's propped open, the school is vulnerable because there's nobody manning that door. Uh, human desire for convenience and and an ability to convince ourselves that these things will never happen here uh, is very powerful, and it leads to breaches in security that sadly, you know, bad people oftentimes exploit. So you can have the best plan but it's gotta be executed properly and and everybody has to play by the rules or the plan's worth goes way down.
0: So unfortunately, politics have already been injected into this tragedy and debates are starting. Um, Some gun control advocates are suggesting that Uvalde shows that you need to ban guns, not just make schools more secure. Um, I'm gonna quote from The Intercept, that's a liberal publication um, that makes this case. So they write, as the number of school resource officers has ballooned over the last two decades, so has the number of school shootings. There is no evidence that police have the ability to stop these shootings from happening. Alex Vitale, a sociologist at the City University of New York and the author of End of Policing, said the idea that a standard armed school police officer is going to stop someone in that situation has proven not to be true time and time again. Um, and he also noted that police and security guards are often the first casualties in mass shooting events.
1: What do you think about this argument? Uh, well, first, he's he's taking a few things that might be truthful in a, in a microcosm and telescoping it about everything first of all there have been numerous instances where quick response by either a a school resource officer or a responding policeman or in some cases volunteers that have ended school shootings before there was mass killings or or uh you know really tragic level stuff i mean anything's a, a tragedy when somebody's hurt but you know, compared to what happened in Texas, uh, th- he's ignoring all those. Uh, there, there was an incident in in Maryland, uh, a shortly after the the uh, Parkland shooting down in Florida, and the officer walked in. He engaged the the shooter, uh, didn't hit it, but the shooter suddenly took his focus off of the the school kids he was trying to kill, focusing on the law enforcement guy, and it allowed the law enforcement officers to then re-engage him and take him down and arrest him. Uh, There's been numerous uh, results of that. Uh, The thing about the school resource officers in particular, remember, school resource officers were put into schools originally to talk to kids about drugs, to you know stop bullying, to help with all those kind of things. They were not there to be security guards. In most cases, they were older, uh, law enforcement officers, probably, you know this is the the last year or two before they retired. They were very wise, experienced, nice people, good with the kids. And their mindset was not, you know, take down the shooter kind of thing. That's what happened in, down in uh, Parkland. Uh, that's what's happened in several other places uh, that I think this guy is using as his proof for his case. And that's an that's a, a old model for school resource officers. And frankly, there's been a ton of folks who are some of the loudest advocates for gun control who are saying, actually, it's bad even having policemen with guns in the school at all. They either need to go in there unarmed, or they shouldn't go in at all. Uh, there's several bills in Congress right now uh, put forward by gun control advocating politicians who want to disarm police anywhere on school grounds. How in the world do they come up with that one? I don't know. That's kind of loony, but uh, it's so I reject his argument. He's using limited examples, ignoring anything that's counter. To his position uh and no offense but mr sociologist I'd, I'd like to see your your creds for security before i really take your opinions that seriously
0: okay well as you mentioned um of course the security at parkland um did not intervene and was later fired um and i think You know, as we look at the delays in the police response, there's a lot of questions swirling about did something similar occur here. But at the same time, you know, we also know that law enforcement doesn't really get a fair trial by media in the U.S. Um, So as we're learning more about this case, um, what should people be keeping in mind as the news is
1: coming out? Uh, Well, first thing is that all that news is almost always incomplete and generally somewhat contrived because they wanna have a good narrative to go forward. Uh, There's been a lot of outrage on the TV news from uh, commentators who frankly had absolutely no facts whatsoever. I I understand the outrage in a tragedy like this, but if you're gonna go on TV and talk about it, you you do have some responsibility to try and gather the facts first. And understand that the facts are going to change as we get more and more information. Uh, So I would say, please be patient. Let the investigations go forward. You know, it's not something that's being investigated by the Uvalde police alone. Uh, There's uh, law enforcement at every level, all the way up to the federal levels that are all looking into this. Uh, trying to find out exactly what happened in this specific situation and how do the lessons from that situation apply in the larger context for everyone. Uh, I think we're going to find things were not done as well as they could have been. But before we start, as I say, before we start hanging anybody in the public square, let's uh, get the full uh, set of information information put a little reasoned uh, analysis behind it, and then decide how we make things better. Uh, Law enforcement, in my experience, to a humongous extent, you know, their fathers and mothers, as well as as anybody else, uh, a lot of those Border Patrol agents had kids in that school. Uh, It's not like any of these folks were disconnected, but uh, we need to find out exactly the chain of events, exactly the orders that were given, why they were given, uh, and then make a judgment if that des- those decisions were sound or if they were flawed. If they're flawed, then we need to make changes. That may include making changes in personnel, uh, but let's, let's let the the process play itself out so we do this right and we fix things rather than just stomping our feet and making things worse
0: all right steve thanks so much for joining us again it's
1: my pleasure thank you for having me
0: and that'll do it for today's bonus episode just a reminder that we will not have a show this monday in observance of memorial day thank you again for listening and we'll be back with you on tuesday
1: The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. The executive producers are Rob Bluey and Kate Trinko. Producers are Virginia Allen and Doug Blair. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, please visit dailysignal.com.